collect our uh, final alabaster uh, offering. And, um, and so if uh, you're bringing a box, don't forget your box and everything as you've prepared that this month. Well, today we're going to continue talking about being salt and light in our modern world. Or maybe better put, uh, what it means to, for Christians to be shapers of our culture, right? For Jesus followers to influence the world that you live in, in the name of Jesus. Last week, we started uh, by building off of this quote from the book uh, by Bob Briner called Roaring Lambs, where uh, he writes, it's my contention that the church is almost a non-entity when it comes to shaping culture. It's my contention, Bob Reiner writes, that the church is almost a non-entity when it comes to shaping culture. He wrote this 30 years ago, and we think about all of the things that have happened in our culture since then, and um, all the things that have gone on in our lives in the past 30 years, if you have 30 years, obviously. And in, in the past 30 years, Christians have done some things to influence culture. There's no doubt. But there, uh, there's definitely more things that the world is roaring louder about. And uh, we are looking at what the, being disciples means and we're talking about what discipleship looks like. And they're kind of churchy words, right? Uh, disciples, discipleship. And uh, so to be clear, the simple, we, we used simple definitions of, of those words and just to keep us all in the same corral, right? So here they are. Disciples are followers of Jesus, right? Simply put. Um, the world, the, the outside world looking in, would call us Christians, okay? And the word Christian has been used in a lot of different circles and gets a bad rap in some ways and a good rap in others, okay? So that's, uh, that's a broader term. So disciple, in our context, is a Jesus follower or a Christian. Discipleship they're followers of Jesus that are practicing and living out their relationship with Jesus while sharing that with others. That while sharing with others is super important. And this morning, we, uh, as we continue this talk about roaring disciples, we want to set three goals of a disciple. Okay, Three goals that we can all do. And, and all strive to achieve throughout our relationship and building our relationship with Jesus. And on paper, uh, it seems fairly simple, these set of goals, okay? And, and, and being a disciple of Jesus should seem fairly simple, okay? But let's unpack these goals, and we're going to kind of see where we are today. And you can kind of see what, what, what stage you're at, maybe. And uh, we'll kind of work from there. Goal number one. Goal number one is simple, being with Jesus, being with Jesus. So for three plus years, Jesus had 12 men that followed him everywhere. We know them as the 12 disciples, okay, followers of Jesus. These men were assembled by Jesus from all walks of life. They had different professions. They, they came from all different kind of backgrounds, they had different upbringings, different personalities. They solved problems in different ways, right? 
But what was it that the disciples did while they spent all that time with Jesus? What did they do? The answer, they did a lot. <laughs> okay? The answer in our context of what it means to be salt and light, because that's what we're talking about, in our context, in this, in this series of being roaring disciples, um, they learned what it means to be salt and light. They heard it over and over again as Jesus taught uh, people from all over as they traveled around. He used that analogy over and over again, and they saw that lived out day after day in Jesus' life because they were literally with Jesus. And that's our goal, goal number one, being with Jesus. Well, Jesus, um, when Jesus was here on earth, his disciples had that advantage of being with him, of talking with him, seeing him, asking him questions. Even if they were not the greatest question, they were obvious, right? They didn't always get things, and so they, and they watched him play out his life. And they, they saw him interact with people. They got to see him with his own, their own eyes. Well, for us, um, you know, and so the, the 12 disciples, they saw salt and light every day. And for us, being with Jesus, the goal is a little different in our context. Because physically, Jesus is no longer here, right? The Holy Spirit is here. On the day of Pentecost, he came and he empowers us and he works in us and he works through us. But as followers of Jesus, we have the ability to connect with God as close as breath because of the Holy Spirit. And being with Jesus, goal number one, being with Jesus as a disciple means a couple of things that we're just going to share. It means a lot of things, but um, we kind of wrap them all together and call them spiritual disciplines. But it means an active prayer life. Okay? That, that you're daily speaking to God, that you bring your joys, you share your praise, your trials, the needs that you have for, uh, for that day, maybe even multiple times a day. You're sharing, you're talking to God. And what's the other part of a conversation? If you're having a conversation with a friend, if you're trying to build a friendship with somebody, you invite them over, and what do you do? You have a meal a lot of times, and then you just sit there and stare at each other, right? No, you talk. You share things, they share things, and you do what? You listen. And the other part, so the other part of our prayer life includes us talking, sharing with God, but it also involves us listening, being quiet, because prayer is this two-way line of communication. It's not just we empty this laundry list of, of what we want. It's not a shopping list that we just click and pull and throw up to God, right? I got to have all this stuff, God. Thanks a bunch. And, oh, and thanks for this great day. No. We need to sit and listen to what he has to say to us because I guarantee you it's way more important than what we just unloaded on him. Not to say that things that we have, that we pray about, are not important. We need to be silent in the presence of God and listen to what He wants to say. So much more can be uh, that we can share about prayer, right? There's, there's a ton. We could spend a month on it. 
And, and, and so please know that it's just this open communication is how relationships grow and mature, right? And your relationship with Jesus is no different. So know that there's a, so many things we can say about prayer, but do it. Pray every day. But take time in our prayer time to listen, to be silent. Even if it's just a few seconds, a few minutes of your time every day to be still before God. Another way that we are with Jesus, this goal that we're having of being with Jesus, is to actively study his word, right? You're reading the scripture, the words of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the story of God and his creation and of his son and why Jesus came to earth. That's what the Bible is all about from the beginning to end, from Genesis all the way through maps, okay? That's the whole story of, of God's creation and why Jesus came. And, and these words can change our lives. We believe that this is God's word, right? That these words are, are God's breath on a page. Inspired, God inspired men to write them down. And then over time, they were compiled and put together. And it became our holy Bible. But it's inspired God's word, right? And for all practical purposes, this is God's breath. And we read it as such. So reading his word and studying his word and applying it, there's the key, applying it to our life is how we grow our relationship with Jesus. So being with Jesus by reading his word and speaking with him is how we grow our relationship. It's goal number one when it comes to being a disciple being with Jesus. Goal number two is this, becoming like Jesus. So the cool thing about being with Jesus, goal number one, right, doing that, if we're praying and we're, uh, and we're reading God's word, is that your lifestyle will become, will start to become more like Jesus in his lifestyle. Becoming like Jesus looks different the longer that we follow Jesus, which makes sense, right? So if you go to the south, say Mississippi, Alabama, down in those parts, okay, or Texas, okay, Louisiana, if you go in those, those parts of the woods and um, you spend some time there with the way that they talk, with all the y'alls and the yins and the way, you know, the slang and their accents and What's going to happen with the way that you talk? You're going to do the same thing, okay? Or you go up north to Minnesota, right? You're going to start talking like a Minnesotan, right? It's going to happen. You're going to eventually start to be like those that you're around involuntarily a lot of times. And you do, uh, you do the same thing. So if you start engaging in your daily prayer life, you're actively listening to him, to Jesus, and giving him the good stuff of your day and, and your bad stuff, right? And you're starting and you're ending your day by speaking to God and listening to what he has to say. And that you also are um, giving him time for him to speak into your life because he's passionate about you as well. You'll start to become more like him. 
If you start engaging in the breath of God on a page that we call the Bible, by taking those words that we read every day and applying them to our life, don't just read the cool stories. Oh, yeah, David took a stone and, and threw it, and it hit Goliath, and it, it killed him, right? Then Daniel got thrown in this big old pit with a bunch of lions, and he didn't get eaten. They're all really cool stories, right? They are. And Jesus walked on water, and he spoke to the wind, and it, didn't, and, 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 and it obeyed him. All really cool stories, but how do these things apply to our life? When we take these words and they apply to our life, then we're looking at, looking at them and how they, they look in our relationships and the interactions that Jesus had with people and translating them to how they interact, those interactions go into your life and your relationships and your interactions. You're going to start to become more like him. Because and, and becoming like Jesus is a process, and it takes work, okay? And becoming like Jesus is a process that takes time. And becoming like Jesus is a process that takes surrender of, of our own self. Where we come to the end of ourselves, we shared that quote when we were at the park from A.W. Tozer, where we come to the end of ourself. Where we, when we're having trouble seeing results, we got to come to the end of ourself. And that's where we allow Jesus that's in us to shine through because it's the only thing in our life. And the longer that we follow Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. The longer we follow Jesus, the more we learn to surrender to Jesus. And the longer we follow Jesus, the more we become like him. Goal number three is tough because we are not Jesus. You and me, we are not Jesus. Amen? And the only, the only Jesus, uh, and only Jesus, right, can be Jesus here on earth. So keep that in mind when we talk about goal number three. Goal number three is a problem. Uh, it's a problem with a lot of churches, let's be honest. Goal number three is why many people will walk away from their faith because they're not Jesus. And because people struggle to get goal number three uh, because they think, well, it's not attainable. I can't do it. And it's because people are human, right? How many of you are human? today? Yes, amen. Good. Um, almost all of you thought about raising your hand. Good. Um, I know that goal number three is tough because when Jesus did goal number three, all the people, all the church people, all right, all the church people that were around Jesus had a huge problem with it, okay? So here's goal number three. How many of you like baseball? We'll get to goal number three. I don't want to talk about it yet. You like baseball? Like, to what extent do you like baseball? Are you, are you an avid fan? Do you just kind of watch it? You want to turn it on in the afternoon when you want to take a nap? Like, our family likes baseball. We watch it. We play it. Uh, we talk about it. We go to games, right? So when you go to baseball games, do you, how do, you, do you know how to score a baseball game? You know how to score it? Not like what the score is. You know, it's three to two. But you know how to keep score? 
Like, uh, here's what I'm talking about. Here's a crash course in scoring a baseball game. Every position has a number, like pitcher is number one, catcher is number two, all the way one through nine. So here's, here's how it works. Um, somebody hits a ground ball to third base. That's position number five. They throw it across the diamond to the first baseman. That's position number three. The play goes 5-3. Simple enough. You hit a fly ball to left field. That's position number seven. That goes in the book F7. Fly ball to seven, okay? Simple enough. Well, um, when I was in college uh, at Mid-America, I played baseball, and I got the opportunity uh, to be a, a pitcher, and it was a pitcher's job when you weren't pitching that you kept score, and you kept the book, and I had good handwriting, so that was my job, and uh, I, I was okay at it. It was fine. It kept you engaged in what was going on, but as a scorekeeper, I held a lot of power, Okay? Because I got to decide if a ball that was hit to, an inf- to a fielder was a hit or an error, right? It was my job. I got the power, okay? And as a pitcher, you know, see, the, the fielders, they didn't want an error by their name. That was a bad stat. And the pitchers, they didn't want a hit next to their name because that was a bad stat for them. They would rather have it be an error because that's an unearned run. We're not going to get into those things. But the pitchers didn't want And as a fellow pitcher, I was probably going to lean on the pitcher's side. So I would always accept uh, gifts from the fielders. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but um, so the, the pitchers, uh, you know, some of the hits were obvious hits, right? You hit a double off the fence, it's a hit. Okay, some of the errors were obvious errors. The, the third baseman fields it and throws it into the stands, that's an error, okay? But there were always times when there were what, what we call what? A judgment call, where it was close. Well, did he, was it an error? Could he made that call? Could he made that play? And we all, um, the, the scorekeeper had to make the judgment call. And we all know how everyone loves judgment, right? So, still kind of wondering what goal number three is? Goal number three is this. Doing what Jesus did. So, as a disciple, you see how that's hard? To get to goal number three, doing what Jesus did? If you know anything about Jesus, you can see why this is controversial. Because being with Jesus, right, it seems like a, a pretty simple task, right? I can, uh, making, making your personal relationship stronger and better by praying and reading my Bible, I can do that. That's simple, right? I don't even have to go outside my house to do that. That's pretty easy, okay? Becoming like Jesus, a little harder, okay? But kind of a natural transition if goal number one is kind of coming along and we stick to the day in and day out routine of praying and reading my Bible, Um, but doing what Jesus did, doing what Jesus did is like, it's like going to the baseball game. Here's what I mean. At the beginning of John chapter 8, and uh, I have three examples, we're not going to turn to any specific, um, uh, but at the beginning of John chapter 8, There was a woman that was physically dragged in front of Jesus. She was accused of being caught in the act of adultery. Think about that. If this is accurate, there was a wealth of embarrassment surrounding her in that moment. 
she was caught in the act of adultery. The dude, not there. Takes two to tango, right? Partially clothed, most likely, in front of all these religious men and Jesus. And they were deciding whether or not it was a hit or an error. That was their job, their self-imposed job. They were keeping score at the baseball game. These religious men were judging. Not only judging, they were sentencing her to death. And Jesus levels the playing field by telling them, well, okay, the person that doesn't have any sin in their life, go for it. You throw the first stone. Cut it loose, okay? And, and because of her sin, she's a sinner. She's the worst person. We've got to get rid of her. That's why they wanted her gone. And Jesus, he levels the playing field because they were all sinners, but they didn't look at that part. Again, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is eating at one of these religious men's dinner table. We've talked about this before. He's eating at their table, and a woman that is known for her sin, she has a reputation, okay? She comes in and anoints Jesus' feet, and the religious man is visibly offended, and he thinks to himself, he doesn't say it out loud, he just thinks to himself, he's like, and this is Luke chapter 7, verse 39, if this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. A sinner. Judging a sinner. That's what that was. Then there was a time in Luke chapter 5, just a few pages before this. The Pharisee, uh, they, just speak the, they just finally speak their mind. Okay? The Pharisees, they were the religious leaders. They were the pastors Basically, the church leaders of that time. They were the keeper of the law. Jesus has an encounter with a guy named Matthew. Yes, that Matthew, the one who wrote the first book of the New Testament. And Jesus invites Matthew to follow him. He says, come on with me. Follow me. See what happens. Okay? Be a part of this crew. And Matthew does it. He drops everything and he does it. Well, so Matthew was not a very popular guy because he was a tax collector. People hated him. He was like the worst type of person you could be because he could publicly steal and had the whole Roman army to back him up. So um, Jesus invites him to be one of his closest followers, and Matthew accepts. Then Matthew and Jesus, Peter and James and John and Andrew and the rest of their crew just kind of all go to Matthew's house, and they have lunch, along with all of Matthew's closest buddies, who just happened to also be a bunch of tax collectors, because Matthew had no other friends than tax collectors, because you didn't hang out with anybody. They didn't have friends, because they were stealing from everybody. So I guess tax collectors didn't steal from themselves, so they were their own friends. In, in Luke uh, 5, chapter, uh, verse 30, the Pharisees just flat out ask, out loud. They, just, they don't even think it to themselves because that doesn't work. Jesus just knew what they were thinking. So they ask out loud. They, they ask the, the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? 
because they were always keeping score. They were always judging other people. They were holding this right to look at other people and judge them like crazy. Goal number three, doing what Jesus did. It's hard, and here's why. He was with sinners. Do you, you know what he was not doing, though, when he was with sinners? Judging them. There was no need. You know why? Because we were all, they were all on an even playing field. Every one of them. They were all sinners, right? Every one of them. Guess what? The religious leaders, he, if he was with one of them, they, he was with sinners because they were all sinners. Jesus' brother, his name was James, he said that if, if you keep the whole law but you offend in one point, you're a sinner. You're guilty of all of it. So one sin in God's eyes is good enough, right? Who keeps track of the sin? Men does. Men do, Okay? And we think that murder is worse than cheating on a test. In our eyes, that's true. But sin is sin. We get that? So Jesus was with sinners a lot, not judging them. There's a day that will come when judgment will happen. But that's not for us. And that really wasn't even for Jesus. He was here for payment, not for judgment. And if we're to get to goal number three and do what Jesus did, that's what we need to do, is to be with sinners and not judge. Why? Because if salt stays in the shaker, it's worthless. Jesus was with sinners all the time, no matter where he went. Other people that were not like him, other people that didn't believe like him, other people that didn't think like him or act like him or grow up like him or didn't like him at all. Other people, that, and they were all called what? Sinners. If it was Jesus giving them all a label, they would all be called sinners, like me. If he sat down with me, he would be sitting down with a sinner. If he looked up in a tree as he walked by because it was so crowded and he looked up and he would say, Paul, you come down because I'm coming to your house today like he did with Zacchaeus because I'm a sinner, right? That's what would happen. If, if I was standing on the shore uh, fixing my nets, getting ready to go fish and Jesus walked by, he would stop and he would invite me to follow him. And it would be up to me to drop my nets and go and drop everything. And he would not be keeping score. Goal number three is a challenge because we have to get to the end of ourselves. And if you're like me and you've been a, a Jesus follower for most of your life, I've been a Christian for a long time. I feel like the better part of my life. You can get pretty okay with what, um, with what you like when it comes to church. You, can, you have your likes. I like this song. I like the way that we do it in this order. I like the when we speak, when we do this thing at church. We can get pretty comfortable in that rhythm. 
right? You can get set in your ways when it comes to how we think you're supposed to share the gospel. And it happens in this, in this setting, at this time, and it only happens with these people, right? We can, we can do that. I can do that sometimes. And you can get a very narrow picture of what discipleship looks like. Goal number three, doing what Jesus did. Go where people are and be with them. That's what Jesus did. Go where people are, be with them. Be salt. And in your being with them, you share life and your Jesus experience with them by how you treat them, by how you speak to them, by how you deal with adversity, by how you deal with tragedy, by how you deal with your whatevers, by how you interact with them. But also, you go with them and you share life with them. And Wherever they are, wherever they are, okay? Here's how, here's how Bob Reiner put it, because he's uh, a little more eloquent than I am when it comes to speaking. He says, our job as Christians is not to take over the various communities in our world. It is, however, to penetrate them, to be present, to, pu- to provide God's alternatives to evil, to demonstrate Christ's relevance there, and to be a, as good as representative as possible for him and for his church. Because our presence and our influence without judgment speaks volumes. Now, hear me. I'm not telling you to go hit the bourbon cowboy every Friday night. Right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not telling you to find the biggest raging party in town and go sit on the couch while people lose their minds. That is not what I'm saying, okay? And if you're new to faith and you're newly saved out of that environment, that's probably not the wisest thing to do, okay? Um, And if you are new and, and you have not sat in the middle of goal number one and goal number two for very long, this is probably not your thing either. Right? But what I am saying and what I've even heard and, and witnessed a uh, former general superintendent of the Church of the Nazarene say from a pulpit at a very large church that if salt is going to leave the shaker, you're going to have to maybe meet a friend and listen to them share while they finish a beer. And in that moment, their drink of choice is not important. You being there and listening to them and supporting them is. And that's okay. Your drink of choice is probably not important either, and I'm not going to talk about that today. Go ahead and leave your judgment at the door and just listen. Do what Jesus did. And the salt's going to get into all the cracks and become the seasoning and the preservative that it's intended to be. And if you have an experience that's similar in that situation, maybe it would be appropriate, maybe it would be appropriate that you share it 
if it's helpful. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't share at all. Maybe you just sit there and you listen because that's what's needed. And that's good too. And then what do you do? Go home straight to goal number one. And you pray for them. And you, and you worry about you being the one, and you don't worry at all about you being the one that saves them, right? Because you can't. You don't save. Jesus saves, right? Don't ever forget that. Just be the salt that, that Jesus says that you are, okay? Uh, this is, as Bob Reiner continues, too many Christians are more concerned about keeping score than being salt, the problem with this mindset is that we will not win in the way that the world sees winning. Our responsibility is to not keep score, but to keep living for him. We're not called to be our best. We are, oh, sorry, we are called to be our best and to leave the results to him. Because from there, the salt's out of the shaker. And you have, and have you ever tried to put salt back into a shaker? Not happening, right? Once a doubt, the questions will start to come. Remember that night when you were sitting there with me? What was that all about? You didn't say one word about the two things that I was drinking. What? And thanks for the ride home, by the way. Appreciate that. It goes a long, long way. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus was very straightforward in saying this. Jesus said this, and then he went on and he showed everyone what salt does. Salt gets out of the shaker and it gets everywhere. It affects everything that it touches and it doesn't judge the sins of others. Jesus was constantly in the company of the worst of the worst. And Jesus was constantly making the religious people question the people he was with, the sinners. The whole time, ignoring their own personal sin, which, let's be honest, we have enough sin of our own to worry about, to worry about everybody else's, right? So let's just get out of our own way. Jesus didn't do this to show people that he was right. And he didn't, Jesus did not do this to show people that he was popular with everyone. Jesus did not do this to show people that he was even nice. Jesus did this to make a difference. He did this to be an example of what love looks like. He did this even though we are all sinners. He still died for us. That's what discipleship is, right? Jesus' followers practicing and living out their relationship with Jesus while sharing that life with others, regardless of where you're at, doing what Jesus did. The others, in Jesus' case, were, were not just people that sat in church, in a church building on a particular day of the week, right? Okay? And there's nothing wrong with this. I'm glad you all are here. And we need this. We need this community, and we need this growth, and we need this to be a part of who we are. Because when we leave here, there's so many more places to get salt into, right? We have some goals today that I pray 
that we work into to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And the last one is hard. But it is definitely doable. An important way to get our hearts around goal number one, for sure, is through the sacrament of communion. And uh, being with Jesus and uh, it, by focusing our hearts on what he did for us on the cross for our sins. He encouraged his disciples to do this. So today, we have these elements in front of us, this bread and this juice. And, and they're, they're symbols, right? They're, that's all they are. We bought them at the store. And they're, they represent something, though, that is so significant in our journey as a Jesus follower because without the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our sins are not paid for. And our eternal future is destined for death. So we're going to pass these elements. And uh, as they're passed, just ask that you hold on to them until everyone is served. And when they're all, everyone is served, we'll take them together. And... Uh, uh, if you're a visitor today, just so you know, you don't have to be a member here to, to take communion. Um, we just ask that you profess your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And if that's so, uh, feel free to um, partake as well. As the elements are passed and the music is played, we just feel free to sing along. But I encourage you to reflect on being with Jesus during this time and this moment. If you're a been asked to help with communion, I encourage you to come on down here and uh, um, allow God to speak to your heart today as we go through.